Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Well, Joe, for the Thanksgiving holidays, I went and saw my, my wife's family in Oklahoma, and I was actually pretty close to Stillwater. I kept getting questions all, all weekend about whether we were going to stay for the Bedlam game. And so I kind of thought that, you know, with it being in Stillwater and me being so close that I would begin with talking about Bedlam. And what ended up being uh, Mike Gundy's coup de gras. He got his first win over Oklahoma, I think, since, what, like 2011? And uh, gets to get the best of uh, Oklahoma right, right before the day before Lincoln Riley leaves. And, of course, right before they're going to go to the SEC. And what's got to be the greatest weekend of Mike Gundy's life. Uh, it had to be really exciting for them. You know, great chance to make the college football playoff. Going to play Baylor for the Big 12 championship game on Saturday. And it was so eerily similar this 2021 season to the 2011 season for Oklahoma State to the tune that they went 11-1, and beat Oklahoma and Bedlam, and then also, ironically, both times they lose to Iowa State in a close game upset. Yeah, I thought that was funny, too. And, you know, you hope that they can somehow get into the playoff and it doesn't uh, work out that that was the loss that kept them out. I think they're in a position now with them being five in the most recent college football playoff rankings that they're in if they win. Because you got to think about it. I mean, I guess the only way they could possibly not get in is if Alabama were to beat Georgia and Cincinnati won convincingly, and then it's basically just chalk in the top four. At that point, they'd be on the outside looking in. But really, it looks like there's a good chance that the Pokes make it into uh, college football playoff for the first time. And, you know, one of the best things about it is the way they've done it this year. They, they've done it with defense. They have the number two scoring defense in all of college football. And their offense has been very pedestrian. A lot of times uh, Spencer Sanders has put them in uh, bad positions during these games, but their defense has just been extraordinary. Not a lot of big names on it, but they've been holding down these prolific Big 12 offenses. And I definitely think that in terms of the coaching carousel that we were talking about last episode, uh, Knowles, the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma State, has got to be someone that's getting looked at as a possible head coach also. That's right. That's right. And you usually think about their offensive coordinators, like a Todd Munkin or a Larry Fedora being the one, you know, that everybody's talking about. And you think about their offenses through the years. You know, you always think about the quarterbacks like Zach Robinson, like uh, Brandon Whedon, like more recently Mason Rudolph. They were known for their offenses and receivers like Justin Blackman and Des Bryant. But you're right. I mean, this year you look at Sanders' numbers quarterback, there's a lot of games where he'll throw for like less than 200 yards. And in years past, like Oklahoma State quarterbacks are lighting it up with like 400-yard games. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, is they've had a lot of really good running backs at Oklahoma State, too. It's been an underrated uh, running back place lately with, uh, of course, Chuba Hubbard, Justice Hill. Yeah. They've had a lot of really solid running backs, and this year they don't really have that either, but this defense just keeps grinding out games for them. And I thought the Bedlam game was so interesting because it started off with what you typically thought of with Bedlam, which is Oklahoma State making a lot of uh, a lot of mistakes, and even when they're the favorite team, just completely blowing it. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, basically like a three-play series where they get a safety – then the guy drops the kickoff and there's a touchdown and suddenly they drop nine points off and you're just look, looking at it like, oh man, here comes another bedlam, like, you know, just uh, collapsed by Oklahoma State. 
But I give them credit. In the second half, they gave up zero points. And Spencer Sanders had one of his better games. And actually, you know, uh, by their offensive standards, they put up 36 points. And they kind of had to have an all-around team win. And I thought that was just such an impressive victory for Mike Gundy and just showed the toughness this Oklahoma State team has. No, it really did. And I think it was big for them to get this win, that send-off for Lincoln Riley. You know, I think this is the, the type of win that can kind of galvanize the program. And the last thing I would say about it is I thought it was really cool, you know, um, on the weekend, and I'm sure we'll, I know we'll talk about some of these other games, but you look at like three or four rivalries where one team has pretty much over the last 20 years dominated the other one. You think about the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, um, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, Oregon-Oregon State, Washington-Washington State. You know, it was kind of rare to see some of those other teams, kind of the, the underdogs, surprise you because a lot of these rivalry games, you really feel like anybody could win. But Oklahoma-Oklahoma State's one of those where Oklahoma usually wins. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think Mike Gundy, before uh, winning this year, won twice in the 16 seasons that he had been there. So it's definitely been uh, a tough road for him to hoe to beat the Sooners. And, you know, he did it this year with without having Mason Rudolph or Brandon Wheaton or a Chuba Hubbard at running back. And he did it with defense. And I think that's just been such a great thing. And I've been happy for Mike Gundy. I mean, he's a guy that is, you know, pretty much a lifer now at Oklahoma State. He was a quarterback there in the 80s when they had – Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas talk about a great backfield there. And, you know, he had all that controversy with him wearing the OAN shirt last year, having a lot of players be upset about that. And he's recovered by having a great season. They signed him on to an extension. And I'm just glad to see a guy like sticking around at his home program, doing as good as he is. And Oklahoma State, you know, they didn't get invited to the Big 12, but to the SEC like Oklahoma and Texas did. But maybe this could work out to their advantage because staying in the Big 12, they've got to be, you know, one of the most stable programs that's left over. And they have a position to really take charge of that conference in the coming years. They do. They do. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, they've always been known as a basketball school. Their baseball has always been pretty good, too. So, you know, their football is on this kind of level. They're really kind of an all-around sports school if they can keep that up. That's right. Well, Joe, speaking of an all-around institution, I mean, one of the best public universities in America is Michigan. And they've had a really rough time in the last 11 years, losing 11 in a row to Ohio State in the game. Joe, it's been kind of hard to consider a rivalry the game when it's been controlled so much by one program. And, of course, Jim Harbaugh has, you know, been a really consistent coach. I mean, Michigan's had top ten recruiting classes pretty much every year. They haven't really had that many bad seasons since last year's COVID season, and everybody's been wanting to get rid of Jim Harbaugh before the season started. He took a pay cut, and then, boom, he has this amazing year where they have one loss. And when Ohio State, I believe, was a 20-point favorite, even with Michigan having one loss, talk about an impressive victory in the snow, in Ann Arbor, Hassan Haskins getting five touchdowns. And that scene afterwards when they rushed the field at Michigan, which I've never seen before, and just seeing Harbaugh and just, you know, ultimate happiness. It was one of the best things I've ever seen in college football, and I was so happy for him. Yeah, that was a, just uh, such a surprising win, such a, you know, a monumental win for Harbaugh. You know, everybody, I think, was pretty much kind of coronating um, Ohio State, feeling like they had the Heisman front runner. 
and they were just going to kind of, you know, waltz into the Big Ten championship game yet again. And Harbaugh, you know, they had other ideas. Um, and I do think, you know, the weather definitely played a factor and helped Michigan. But at the same time, I think that, you know, we kind of found out more about some of the playmakers that Michigan had. Um, everybody's focusing on Stroud and just the plethora of immensely talented receivers for Ohio State and uh, um, Henderson, the running back. But you look at uh, Hutchinson and uh, some of those playmakers on defense for Michigan, they really had their coming out party in Hutchinson. I mean, he's one of those guys I think that if he has a good game in the Big Ten championship game against Iowa, he just definitely deserves to be on the short list for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I mean, I think Hutchinson had three sacks in that game. He has 13 and a half sacks on the season. And he's a guy, too, that's a great story. I think his dad played at Michigan. So it's always good to get to see the the family guys, like a, like a Bo Nix at Auburn who's getting it done for, you know, the place where their father's played at. And he's been an excellent defensive player. I, I like to see, uh, even though Haskins had a great game with five touchdowns, Blake Corum had a lot of good runs, too, in that that kind of spurred him. And it's Harbaugh's, it's Harbaugh's kind of team. I mean, they're ground and pound, they're play defense, and they're getting it done. I mean, it's definitely a lunch pail attitude. And what I thought was the most amazing thing about that game to me was that it wasn't a fluke. I mean, there wasn't any fluky plays or anything like that that, that gave them the win over Ohio State. They earned that win. It probably shouldn't have even been as close as it was. And it definitely was just an excellent win. And, you know, Ohio State is very – I mean, Michigan is very worthy of that number two spot in the playoffs. And I'm glad to see that, you know, Harbaugh is going to stick around and that, you know, this is a, a good story to LSU and Florida and all these people that – cut loose coaches a couple of years after they do something, you show a little patience sometimes, you might have the right guy and it could be a great thing. That's true. A lot of people, you know, were wanting to kind of move on from Harbaugh the last few years with his inability basically to beat um, Ohio State. Like, you know, he's pretty much winning a lot against everybody else, but having trouble sometimes against Michigan State or Ohio State. And I, I looked at this game, uh, the last two things I would say about it, you know, Michigan, I, I thought they dominated up front, one in the trenches, which was key. And then the other thing that impressed me about Michigan was their resilience because there were stretches in the second half when Ohio State pulled within one possession, I think at least twice. And both times, Michigan had an answer to stretch that lead back up to two touchdowns. That's right. And, Joe, I, I thought the most amazing stat of this game, I didn't even realize it until Michigan won. Did you realize that was the first time that Ryan Day had lost a Big Ten game was against Michigan in that one? He had been the coach for three years, and Michigan was the first team to beat him in Big Ten play. No, I did not think about that. That's that unbelievable. I mean, so what Ryan Day has done at the beginning of his career, I think it's further highlighted by that, that it took an inspired effort by Michigan in his third season for someone to even beat him in a Big Ten game. So that just shows you that not just Harbaugh that's been having trouble with Ohio State, it's been everybody. Yeah, it's only what like his fourth loss ever because he lost to Oregon this year, Alabama, Clemson, and maybe one other one, like three or four losses ever. Yeah, so, I mean, really impressive what, what Ryan Day has done. Um, but, yeah, like that's why – I mean, that was definitely the, the best thing of the weekend was getting to see Harbaugh get that after 11 years of misery for Wolverines fans in the game and then six years of misery for Harbaugh. And so you definitely could see the passion there, and especially when the fans rushed the field at Michigan, that was quite a sight. Oh, it really was. 
All right, Joe, I mean, you talked about earlier uh, Washington State beat Washington in the Apple Cup, and uh, that was a guy who got promoted to the head coaching job. The assistant coach has been leading Washington, got elevated, and he's taken over for Mike Rolovich. Yeah, and I've always found this rivalry kind of fascinating because there's something about, like, Washington State and, like, Pullman that kind of reminds me of, like, a startful Mississippi with, like, Mississippi State compared to Ole Miss. I just wish Ole Miss at times was as dominant as Washington usually is in this rivalry, which, unfortunately, they haven't been enough through the years. But, yeah, I mean, um, Washington State, to me, looked really good. A good running back play. Their offense played well. And, you know, with the, the coaching turnover, they, they might could have fallen apart easily as a team. And you got to credit, you know, their coaching staff for keeping them together. Joe, speaking of crediting a coaching staff, got to talk about Coach O getting to have one more go Tigers in quite the walk-off victory over Texas A&M. I mean, I was blown away by the end of that game. Uh, you know, I, I've not been a fan of uh, Orgeron getting fired this year. I thought that he deserved to have another season, especially after winning a national championship a couple of years ago and really being pretty consistent before that. And for them to get that win over Texas A&M just one more time, especially when, you know, te- apparently LSU's first call was trying to get Jimbo Fisher to go from Texas A&M over to LSU and Texas A&M, you know, having this 8-4 season where they beat Alabama, but they lose to Arkansas and Mississippi State, and they end the season losing to Ole Miss and LSU. I just thought it was such a great sight and for it to be on a, a touchdown play like that, an epic drive where they had to convert fourth downs. And I just thought it, it was so simple. You know, it, it was so earned for Coach O to get a send-off like that, and I really liked that a lot too. No, it was great for him, you know, just uh, kind of a Hollywood-esque moment to have that kind of send-off. And, you know, not I don't think enough people talked about how great that win was, how exciting the finish of that game was because of just the refocused and shift towards a silly season in the coaching search for LSU right after that game. And everybody's, you know, wanting to find out the status of Lincoln Riley. But the other thing I would say about it is one of the earlier points I was making in our previous podcast about um, Brian Kelly tonight going to LSU. I mean, this is kind of more to that point about how difficult it is in the SEC West. LSU really was your worst team in the West this year. Mm-hmm. And they knock off Texas A&M, who just a few weeks before that was in contention to win the SEC West. And so I think that just goes to show you when everybody except for Vanderbilt is bowl eligible in your conference. I mean, that just shows you the strength of the league. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you could basically lose to pretty much anybody in the SEC this year outside of a Missouri or a Vanderbilt. I mean, Kentucky can come and play, LSU can come and play, Auburn come and play, Mississippi State is all everywhere this year. You know, you don't know what you're getting week in and week out, and so that's definitely going to be a huge adjustment for them. And but on the other hand, though, Joe, you can look at that game and say this is why Brian Kelly came to LSU. This is a team that was completely depleted in all of their players being injured. You can argue from a motivation standpoint they're playing for a lame duck coach. And yet, with all of these things going on, they still have enough talent to beat a Texas A&M team. And you still see some stars out there like DeMote Clark, a linebacker, that are just wrecking stuff. And that's the kind of talent that you can have at LSU. Well, that's true. I mean, the talent just kind of recruits itself. Um, I'm going to be interested to see also if their talented wide receiver whose name escapes me, if he stays with them or enters the transfer portal, Abude. Yeah, uh, you know, that was a really – that was one of the worst things that happened 
to LSU this year was, of course, uh, Butte getting injured. He was probably the best receiver in America, and he's a sophomore, so he still has one more season. So that would definitely be a big coup if Brian Kelly can hold on down. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, Joe. Uh, you know, moving on. You know, we have to talk about it now. I got to relive the awfulness that was last weekend's Iron Bowl. Uh, it started off uh, really surprising with just an amazing defensive effort by Derek Mason's uh, Tigers. Uh, Derek Hall had a really great game for Gulfport, Mississippi, a defensive end. He had a couple sacks in that game. And they completely shut down Alabama's offense for three and a half quarters in that game. Uh, going into the fourth quarter, Alabama had scored zero points. It was the first time they'd been shut out in the first three quarters of a game since uh, they beat LSU when Jalen Hurts was there. And that was the last time they'd gone into fourth quarter being shut out. And it was the first time I think that Auburn had shut out Iron Bowl, uh, shut out Alabama in the first three quarters of an Iron Bowl since the 2000 Iron Bowl that Auburn won nine to nothing. And so it had been over 21 years. And, you know, really, I was talking with my friend of the show, Spencer, earlier about this game. It almost reminded me of the South Park episode in this game at the end of it where uh, the boys in South Park are trying to end their baseball season because they don't want to do travel league and they have to keep playing baseball. And all the teams in travel league are so sick of playing baseball, they try to intentionally lose. That was kind of what this game was like between Auburn and, and Alabama. It didn't really seem like either team wanted to win that much. A lot of mistakes made. Um you can, you know, you can point to a lot of things as to why Auburn lost this game. They blew a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. There was a lot of uh, questionable coaching decisions, especially offensively. You know, you look at uh, they, Auburn's defense makes a great uh, fourth and one stop to get the ball back. All they got to do is run the clock out, and Tank Bigsby goes out of bounds and gives Alabama an extra 40 seconds right there. And, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't have coached your player to not go out of bounds no matter what unless you're getting the first down. And even if you're not going to even get the first down, you need to stay in bounds. And so that was a huge mistake. And then I look at with the way that Auburn's offense played, even with them not getting that first down, why wouldn't you go for it on fourth down right there? Because my thing is Alabama is down 10-3 to at that point. They have to score a touchdown. What's the difference giving them the ball at the three-yard line versus the 30-yard line? They'll probably get there in two plays anyway. Go ahead and win the game. And then let's let's go past the touchdown that Alabama had. And you go into overtime, uh, Auburn gets the ball second after Alabama scored a touchdown. Landon King, who's a tight end, a freshman tight end at Auburn, catches his first touchdown ever with an amazing one-handed grab. Why not go for two right there and either win the game or lose it? Uh, you know, at that point – uh, your defense is dog-tired, uh, your quarterback, T.J. Finley, your backup is on one leg. He's hobbling the entire game. Go ahead and go for broke on that one. And the next two-point possession, uh, two-point conversion play they had in the, in the third overtime was a perfect play. That would have been great to win the game right there. And so there was a lot of questionable uh, coaching decisions there. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those classic scenarios where you coach not to lose, you don't coach to win, and that's kind of what happened. Like, I felt like Harson was kind of coaching scared at the end of that game. Um, and I think you bring up, you know, some good points. Um, I thought about, you know, the 40 seconds they could run off the clock when Bigsby doesn't get out of bounds, and that really was huge. Um, second, 
As far as the interception that Finley threw, what in the fourth quarter, did Alabama score off that interception? They keep the field goal on that one. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an underrated, um, you know, extra possession they got that, you know, helps them out. Also, um, I had a question about the game-tying touchdown that Alabama scored. Um, maybe I didn't get a good view of it, but I definitively actually didn't, couldn't tell if that was actually a catch. Now, Joe, I will say there was a lot of questionable refereeing on the last uh, drive, which I'll get to, but that is one thing that I'm not questioning. That was a touchdown catch. That was a legit touchdown. There has been a lot of uh, questions about whether there was offensive pass interference by the Alabama receiver on that. I'd have to watch that play again to think about it. But I do have a, a couple plays I'd like to point out on that last drive. Everybody wants to give Bryce Young the Heisman for his definitive Heisman moment on this drive. But he got helped out by the referees on multiple times on that, that possession. Uh, there were three plays in a row where it looked like to me that he committed intentional grounding, one of which he literally threw it at the referee's feet. There was an Alabama receiver within 15 yards, and I, that was the one that like really got to me. A couple of the other ones were close. And then, Joe, at the very beginning of that drive, after Auburn had punted it down into the three, uh, there was holding committed by Alabama in the end zone. There's pictures of it everywhere with literally an Alabama player's arm wrapped around the Auburn guy's neck, which would have been a safety, which would have ended the game. They didn't call. And it's just, you know, it, that's par for the course. The problem is at that point, you know, the SEC officials are going to protect Alabama because they're the team that's going to, you know, have a chance to maybe give them two in the playoff. Of course, it makes the game this weekend more interesting, and that's why Auburn really needed to win it and not give them the ball back. Uh, Joe, when they got the ball back with one minute and 20 seconds, I was about 90% sure that Alabama was going to score a touchdown. Yeah, even from the field position, because what happened was I had, I was watching the game, and, like, when it got to fourth down and Auburn was out to punt, like, I had to leave to go uh, meet some people to go out to eat. And so, like, I get there, and I was actually getting ready to text you thinking Auburn had won. And then I show up to the restaurant and somebody's like, Alabama just scored. And I'm like, how? Because I thought um, at that point, okay, actually, I left with two minutes to go. So I did not live see the Bigsby getting out of bounds on the run. Mm -hmm. And so I just assumed that Auburn ran off like a lot of the clock and maybe Alabama got the ball with like 30 seconds to go. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a huge mistake right there. But like I said, ultimately, what bothered me more than that was them not going for it for fourth down and then really not going for the two-point conversion there. Because you know what? I mean, we talked about it earlier in the Ole Miss-Arkansas game that while we didn't like the play call that Sam Pittman chose, especially based on the way they were running the ball against Ole Miss, we liked that he went for two. That was the right decision right there. And at that point, that was that would have been the right decision. You got a defense that is dog tired that has played their played their rear ends off for you. You got a quarterback on one leg, put it all on the line for one play. And you know what? If you lose, then you put it, you put did everything you could to win. And if you get it, you get it off, then Alabama doesn't get the ball back and you win the game. So I wish they would have done that. And you know, ultimately, I think that might have been the reason that Mike Bobo lost his job. I'm not sure who makes the play call right there. And something else, Joe, that has, wasn't talked about a lot during that game was that Andres Carlson, Auburn's number one field goal kicker, who, of course, you know, has been there for four years now. His brother was there before him, got a strong leg, tore his ACL during the Mississippi State game. It wasn't available, so they had a backup kicker in. 
And that made a lot of difference. There were twice that Auburn punted the ball where they would have actually been able to kick a field goal with Anders out there. And that's another reason I think I like going for two because you're dealing with a backup kicker to make a field goal, to make an extra point. And so there were there was really no reason for them not to try and win the game right there. And like I said, you could try to go for it on fourth down to go and end the game in regulation. Well, if you do that, the narrative changes because you're right. I mean, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, like nobody has ever questioned that the entire season. In many ways, a lot of Arkansas fans just look at that as just a great game that came down, you know, to the last possession. Like nobody like really looks at that with like heartbreak on the same level. It's the games like this, you know, where you have like the what ifs, where you have the most frustration. And I think, you know, if they go for two and fail, then the narrative changes and it's more like you're celebrating the fact that a six and six Auburn team almost knocked off Alabama. Yeah. Now you're yeah. looking at it like you're just completely dismissing everything they did through three quarters of play and everybody's just like, you gave the game away. Right. At this point, yeah, you gave it away. You didn't put it all on the line to win when Alabama gave you an opportunity to do that. And that is a completely different narrative than you putting it all on the line, you being the underdog and you almost getting a win. Now it's you gave away one that you should have won. Right, right. All right, well, Joe, speaking of giving away a game, uh, in the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State gave away a lot of opportunities, especially in that first half. I mean, I cannot believe how lucky uh, Ole Miss was to be winning that game. And one series in particular, I mean, it really changed everything when Mississippi State had first and goal and they dropped three touchdown passes in 30 consecutive plays. I don't know that I've ever seen that before, Joe. And then, of course, the common, the biggest problem that Mississippi State football has had ever since Mike Leach has been there, reared its ugly head again, and that is their pathetic play at the field goal uh, kicker um, realm. And they missed the field goal, and that the game was over at that point. I mean – um, Mississippi State had been moving the ball up and down the field, kept uh, losing out in opportunities. And when they had the three touchdown passes dropped in a row, and then they followed that up with a missed field goal, the wheel kind of got broken. And Ole Miss was able to, you know, not have a great game out of Matt Corral, not have a great game from the offense, but really uh, win a game pretty comfortably that for a while there they had no business winning. Right. It's the kind of game that, you know, with a different coaching staff, Ole Miss probably loses historically, especially in Starkville in that environment. And so I think you have to give a lot of credit to the resiliency of the coaching staff, getting these players prepared. Um, yeah, I don't think even on the seventh grade middle school level or, you know, Pop Warner football level, you'll see three drop touchdown passes with that kind of opportunity ever. I mean, it's just completely an anomaly. Um, additionally, I thought that coming in one of the underrated matchups was not necessarily the quarterback matchup that everybody's talking about with Corral versus uh, Rodgers, but on um, the matchup between Sam Williams on defense and Charles Cross, the um, Mississippi State tackle, who's probably going to be an NFL prospect. Sam Williams just had his day with uh, Charles Cross. Like, he could not stop him at all. You saw Williams get, what, like two or three sacks and just um, – controlled the game defensively for Ole Miss. I thought that was big. And then, you know, you have a, a state team that just doesn't really run the football. And Rodgers had to throw the football, I think, 58 times. Whereas um, Ole Miss, you know, surprise, surprise, we wish we'd had this in the Hugh Freeze era. Ole Miss has a good running attack. Yeah. And they were, they were well equipped to go into this type of environment and run the football and get out of there with more of an efficient game from Corral. 
Yeah, and I mean, both Snoop and Ely had great games rushing the football, and that's what made the difference because it was not the sharpest game for Corral, wasn't the best game for the receivers. And the running game, especially in a game where Mississippi State was making a lot of mistakes on offense, is what really got the game done. And you're right, that was a game that Ole Miss historically would have lost, especially with them not playing their A game on offense. But their defense came out to play and made a lot of huge stops, especially Sam Williams. And they took advantage of the fact that Mississippi State couldn't capitalize on the opportunities they had. And that's what a good football team does. And I think that's the next step that Lane Kiffin has taken is he's got a team now that is good enough that when another team is given opportunities by Ole Miss, they don't capitalize, they make them pay for it. Yes. Yes. And speaking of capitalizing, I mean, this was the year with the cycle where Ole Miss, you know, wanted to win a lot of games. They went 10 and 2, you know, the first time in school history. They've won 10 regular season games. So I think this was a game they had to win, like for the legacy of Matt Corral and the trajectory of the program right now going forward under Lane Kiffin. And, you know, we'll see if we, they can win, you know, the New Year's Six Bowl game that they go to and get to 11 wins. That'll be the next um, big hurdle to clear. But yeah, I think that this was just, um, just, just a great night for Ole Miss. And I think that, um, it's going to be interesting to see where both of these programs go from here because Mike Leach had, I think, a better than expected season at Mississippi State at seven and five. But at the same time, you know that they don't like losing these rivalry games. And Leach has now lost what, like, I, I don't think he's won a rivalry game since 2012 when he's at Washington State. Yeah. I mean, even uh, when he was at Washington State, and he had those, that great year, that one year where they were in the top 10 and top five. He still lost to Washington that year to a bad Washington team. So that is definitely a, an epidemic that Mike Leach has is that he cannot win those rivalry games. Yes. So, like I said, great win for Lane Kiffin, seeing him at 10 and 2. And you hope that based on the season that he has, uh, based on what it looks like it's going to be out there in the transfer portal, I've heard that Dylan Gabriel is, is highly looking at, at Ole Miss. I'm hoping that, you know, Ole Miss is able to make a good push to hold on to Lane Kiffin. A lot of the uh, a lot of the jobs that I was worried about him taking, LSU was one of the ones that scared me a lot. Uh, Florida scared me a lot. They've already been taken. So, really, I think the last ship to fall, I don't think that Oklahoma or Notre Dame would consider Lane Kiffin is does Manny Diaz keep his job in Miami? And if Miami opens up, can Ole Miss hold off the Hurricanes? I think that's the last bastion of, you know, whether we keep Lane Kiffin. Yeah, that's true. And I think he still has a house, like in Boca Raton or Miami, so that's also something to follow. Um, yeah, Miami was definitely one I've, I've always been kind of concerned about in the back of my mind. But the last thing I, I did also want to say about Ole Miss' season this year that's crazy is when you think about the injuries they overcame to, like, the receivers – and for Matt Corral to only throw, like, 20 touchdown passes, I think if you had told me coming into the season he just threw 20 touchdown passes, I would have thought they probably went, like, six and six or seven and five. And so that really impressed me with, with their ability to run the football, and the defense was better than expected. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the biggest uh, – the two biggest surprises I've had this year is I knew they had a lot of running back talent, but I didn't know if they could capitalize on it. And seeing this, uh, this three-headed attack they have – with Snoop Connor, Jerry Neely, and uh, Peter Parrish has been just excellent. And, you know, it's made it to where Corral doesn't have to do everything himself. And then just the way this defense has kept improving and the way that they've won games for Ole Miss. I mean, you look at it, there's two games for sure 
they were won by the defense. The Texas A&M game, that was all the defense. And then the Mississippi State game, that was a defensive effort, especially by Sam Williams, they got it done. And, Joe, you could even make an argument that in that Vanderbilt game, the defense is what got the win for us. So I think that was a great job done by Dave Doran this year, and I've just been so impressed with the defensive improvement. Yes, yes. And then with the Arkansas game and the Tennessee game, those are two games, I think, the way they played out, Ole Miss historically loses both of those as well. That's right. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some historic matchups we have in the Big Ten, the SEC championship games, and some of the other ones in championship weekend, and what really is going to make for a compelling uh, weekend leading into the final college football playoff rankings uh, reveal. And want to thank everybody for listening. You can, of course, uh, check out our YouTube channel to see this and all of our other episodes. And, of course, uh, check out Spotify where all the old episodes are downloaded. And then uh, you can follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show and like our Facebook fan page. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.